Hello, friends, and welcome to a new interviews of a series with key leaders and key opinion leaders in our industries, Web3 Gaming, Metaverse, and Guilds. Today, I'm interviewing uh, Philip, co-founder of Unbound Nation. Unbound Nation started as a uh, crypto gaming guild, uh, raised $3 million as part of the seed round, if I'm correct. And they are turning into more of an infrastructure player in the, in the whole industry with a big emphasis on uh, NFT lending and borrowing. Uh, before we dive more into it, my very first question uh, is, uh, who are you? Who is Philip? Oh man, that's such a broad question. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a middle-aged man now, I would say probably. So um, I was born and raised in Germany, um, played sports and a lot of video games my whole life. So I think started playing at the age of five uh, with the Nintendo at that time. Then I got my first Super Nintendo for Christmas, I, I think, when I was when I turned six. And, and then from there, I went downhill up to a point where I think we played Counter-Strike 1.4. Um, me and my buddies all summer long when we were 15. And I think, yeah, we were too young to actually play um, at that time. We were, I think we were quite good on two on two. Um, ESL just had just started. We were pretty good in ESL, but there was zero money to be made. So my mom kind of forced us outside. Uh, but again, I, I've always loved playing games. I've always loved competing. So not just uh, video games. So, um, you know, I, I love sports, um, played football long, and I've picked up uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu a few months ago. So I'm into a lot of competitive things. Um, and yeah. And, and loved video gaming and when we got into this endeavor here which i'm sure we'll talk about in more detail uh, it kind of rekindled my love for it and uh, all the the you know the the, um, the the impressions i got from my parents my dad and my mom telling me well gaming you know it's nothing real there's no job in there there's nothing no money to be made uh, is now out the window and now i'm telling them every day about you know the the great future of gaming especially with um, blockchain being added to it okay so you have definitely the inner quality of a great entrepreneur very competitive and uh, hardcore about what you do and so how uh, what led you there what what made you start uh Unbound nation how did it start so um me and my co-founder so we have three co-founders um me and steven we we actually started um, similar careers in 2009. We started with Airbus, the big airplane manufacturer. We both did something that I think is still pretty special in Germany. It's called dual studies. So you study and at the same time you work full time at, at a company. Um, really had nothing to do with gaming. As I said, my parents had a big influence on me doing something that is like a solid job. And uh, then fast forward 10 years, when COVID came around, Apple had to let go um, of people. And as it always is in such a big company, they look for they have to look for volunteers first. So both Stephen and I volunteered. And then we, um, we both had this idea for a longer time that we wanted to start something, our own company, and that we were not really, um, you know, looking forward to 
one career in one company our whole lives. And uh, Stephen knew Gena for quite uh, some time before. So the two of them started a direct-to-consumer business. Gena has started many, many companies since he was uh, 16 years old, I think. And um, then I just, I joined them in 2020, um, sorry, 2021, February, and um, it didn't work out well. And then in, um, what was it? I think August, no, September that year, we, we looked at the space. I was, we both got very much interested in crypto. We had looked into crypto before and we had bought a bit of ETH, a bit of Bitcoin, but uh, none of us, you know, can say we are, uh, we are the OGs in the space. Um, but I personally have been in ga into gaming a lot. And when the whole XE summer came around, I started noticing. And when we noticed that maybe the other company wasn't going that well, we thought, okay, this is such an interesting space. We love gaming. Uh, blockchain is extremely interesting. So we, as you said before, we started out as a guild. Um, and we said, look, you know, this could be a great business model. Let's start with that. And then a few months later, started pivoting away from that because we, we felt that it was not the right thing to do anymore. Uh, yeah, but th that's pretty much how we got into it. All right. So you, yeah, started from... Uh, collecting a team of, uh, of people that you've been working with, you know, for some time, uh, all like seasoned entrepreneurs or desiring to uh, be entrepreneur. Uh, and you started this guild and then things went pretty fast. So how did you start the guild? Is it your own fund? Did you raise funds straight away? Uh, how, did you make money from the very beginning in the Axis summer? So because I think it went pretty fast. How did that go? Yeah, so, so, get, so we started with... Um, again, so we looked at the space first and we thought, okay, is there space for another guild? And we looked at how other guilds run the businesses and what was the, what we didn't think was very efficient was the way that guilds were set up with those three layers of there's the guild, then there's the, the interim manager, and then there is the, the scholar or the, the, the gamer. And we thought it was not very efficient to have those middle management layer that seemed to be prevalent in pretty much all the bigger guilds. And, and from the expertise that we had with uh, scaling large organizations um, within within the aforementioned companies, and then uh, with Gana's vast experience in, in starting and scaling um, direct-to-consumer businesses mostly, we thought we could set something up that is a great and efficient operational structure. And... Um, that's way more efficient than the other guilds that we, the other big guilds that we saw out there at the time. So uh, we went pretty fast from, I think within a month or so we scaled up from, or a bit longer, maybe six weeks, we scaled up from zero scholars in X infinity at that time to over 1000. And um, we built our own tools very quickly. So we, we started um, hiring mostly throughout our, our network. I'm not hiring to be honest, but we had people that were supporting us um, from within our network that were mostly um, devs or very, very code savvy, building our own tools, how to manage people, building processes, scripts, et cetera, et cetera, everything around automating the, as much as possible around this whole scholar management um, process. And we started raising fairly quickly into that process because what I think our investors liked at that time was this idea of automating as much as possible and cutting out um, this this middle layer of or this middle management layer. 
Right, so yeah, definitely. Sorry, pretty fast. But so initially, the first one thousand scholars you had for Axis, you you purchased the Axis yourself with your own fund and your uh, with your yes. team, right? Yes, okay. we did. We did, and and you know, at the times were crazy. I mean, everyone who remembers that time was you go. We went on the Discord of Axis Infinity. You post one message, and you have 60, 70 yeah. people DMing you saying, "Hey, yeah. I want to be a scholar. I want to do this. I want to do that." And what was very interesting for me at the time, because I was, was that how many people got scammed? So it looked like a lot of those scholars got scammed by the managers. Um, obviously not the ones of the big guilds, but there were so many people in that space who were just um, telling people they could have a, a yeah. gaming scholarship at the time and then just you know keep the we, money. Yeah, we we yeah. we actually run a survey on on, on scholars. Uh, I think it was like forty five percent have already been scammed by a manager, meaning they didn't get the payout or something bad happened to them. Like almost almost one out of two. This is crazy. Yeah. So, so you yeah, I can imagine. You, so so you saw that you you started, you grew, you found product market fit, you raised your seed round. And, and then something happened, which we all know, which is a bear market, and especially for uh, Web3 gaming uh, and, and, and even worse for play to earn. And the, so where, where are we right now instead of, of the, the, this kind of scholarship model? Are you, you know, I've been interviewing many guilds, like uh, most of them tell me the scholarship model is, is dying and probably will not come back. Some of them told me they are still uh, cash flow positives thanks to thanks to scholarships so not with axis but with other games uh, i know you're offering scholarships on your platform for for instance for immortal games uh, so how things are going for for you there is it still bringing you revenues do you still believe in it tell me more yeah so maybe i need to say a couple of sentences about how we've pivoted away from from being a guilt and actually uh, scholarships so technically yep. We don't offer scholarships anymore because we've decided that we don't, first of all, none of us is, has a great uh, investment background. So, and we, we felt like um, once the, the, the bull market was over or once we saw in Web3 Gaming that a lot of those investment or hype games uh, went down, the hype cycle got to an end. Uh, that you really needed investment expertise in order to make very smart investments into very good games. And we thought, look, this is not really our strong core competence. So we pivoted away from that. And But during the process of raising funds, we chatted with um, a lot of VCs in the space and a lot of funds in the space. And we noticed that there are quite a few funds out there that were already existing or were about to be built up that were focusing on NFTs and parts of... Uh, part of that was gaming NFTs and with them. So, and the investment hypothesis for them was just to uh, buy those NFTs and games where they thought the value in the game might accrue both in the token or the NFT or mostly in the NFT. So they were speculating on the value of those NFTs going up. And we actually came in and said, look, you know, you could earn a little bit extra if you deploy those NFTs to gamers and um, that's how our pivot happened. It happened. So we decided that we are way better suited to be building a platform in the middle where we connect those NFT owners on the one side and the um, gamers on the other side. 
So technically, we are not offering any scholarships anymore. So these are none of the assets that are on the Unbound platform now are ours. So we haven't purchased any of those. But these are assets from um, mostly large NFT owners for now. And maybe in the future, or very likely in the future, anyone who owns an NFT that are just being put there for rent. And then gamers who want to play can rent them. Um, yeah, so... So that's how it goes. And, and we, like any other platform, we just take a fee out of the, the proceeds that are generated from this. But uh, for now, and maybe maybe that's why people still think, a lot of people still think we are running a scholarship model, is that those, especially in a mortal game, the rental is still a revenue share. So um, the gamer keeps a piece of it and gives a piece of, of the, of the uh, rewards that they earn to the NFT owner. And as I said, we take a, a fee um, for the management of that. Yeah, so you, you made this kind of U-turn uh, from the guild toward the more infrastructure play. Uh, so operating uh, uh, other people's NFTs and, and giving them to players or scholars to generate yield out of these uh, assets. Uh, that is, yeah, that, that has been something pretty hot in the last couple months. Like many players have tried to, you know, go in that direction. Uh, and so the, the point right now is that we all know the state of the market is pretty, pretty tough. There is not like the activity in Web3 gaming is pretty low. So first, how is this uh, affecting your strategy? Uh, how do you uh, plan on, on, on like dealing with this, uh, like figures that are going down? As as a first uh, point, and and second, I would like to talk more about the the NFT lending in itself, as it being a core uh, element of Web three gaming. Yeah. So, first question. Yes, I agree, and we see that every day. It's tough times, and not just for what happened in you know the gaming space, where we've seen a lot of um, let's say shit games or games with Ponzi nomics where there's no re real value in the game um, disappearing from the scene where lots of people lost money and that obviously didn't foster the um, the confidence in the space so people are way more very there's uh, like less money in the space probably relatively more smart money now and you also see that people look at um, they turn every stone valuations are going down etc cetera, etc cetera. so yes it, we definitely see that as well um we are in the fortunate position that we don't need to raise uh, anytime soon so we have more than enough runway um to get through 2023 and probably also at least the first half of, half of 2024 maybe even um all of 2024 so we're not too concerned um on that right now but um we are in the fortunate position that we are working with, uh, as I said before, with those NFT funds that have uh, a lot of expertise in making the right decisions in which NFTs they uh, invest in. So when you look at a mortal game, for example, and you look at the way it's set up, I don't know how if everyone uh, knows that, but just to explain it real quick, uh, it works. Though. So the rewards are in ETH and the ut utility token of the mortal, which is called uh, CMT. And uh, every week, there's about between 9 to 10 ETH um, to be earned by the players. So this is obviously much better for us, for the NFT owners, 
for the gamers than some kind of uh, utility token only with no utility that many, many other games had. So there's um, ETH and then there's CMT. And when you look at the roadmap of the game and what the, what Immortal, what the team has done so far, um, it's been nothing short of amazing in my view. So we know that there will be strong utilities for the CMT token. We see um, all the people they work with, the ambassadors, the network. We see, we personally talk to a lot of chess players and high level chess players. So I've talked to, to many grandmasters, etc. And I think this is one of the unicorns in this space. So we are very fortunate to be um, working with Immortal. And then the next game that's coming to the platform next week is uh, going to be Castle Crush which is also a game that's time-proven. It's been on um, the App Store and the, the, the Android Play Store for a long time. I played it. I got addicted to it, so I had to delete it from my phone because I just yeah, spent way too much time on it. Um, now they've added an NFT layer, and I think it's, it's just another amazing game. Um, so we are very fortunate for now that we have two of those games that are really, really good. Um, but yeah, there are not that many games that are as good that are already live. I think there are some great games in the making. Um, yeah, but but we'll, we'll keep on um, trusting the investment decisions that the, our partners make, and then we'll you know make these NFTs available or keep making these NFTs available for gamers that want to play. And maybe if I can say one more sentence on the on the, the um, on scholars, because I really don't like that expression that much. Yeah. Uh, anymore, I know it was something that that people used all the time before. But to me, a scholarship also implies that at some point there is a graduation, and yeah. you grow out of the scholarship. And I feel like in, in many uh, guilds and or in many other organizations that heavily rely on the on this um, on the scholarship model, it doesn't. It never happens. Um, and you know, there's only this. Hey, how can how can we make the most out of the scholar? So for us, these are all players, gamers, and and people that want to play with uh, with um, play cool games and play with NFTs that they either don't want to buy, or that they can't buy because they're too expensive or they are not available. And I think that's probably the segue to your second question: uh, the role of of lending. Um, I think is absolutely vital in this space. Yeah. So, what what is your your uh, thesis regarding uh, NFT lending? You know, um, personally, I used I used to think that NFT lending is a fuel of the metaverse economy. That everything will revolve around uh, lending because NFT makes sense if there is uh, scarcity, uh, and uh, if there is scarcity plus some kind of earning mechanisms, then there's going to be speculation, and, and as a result, uh, a lot of renting lending as we, as we've seen. But right now, we, we're seeing a lot of uh, of uh, games going to the you know free to own, uh, free to earn, uh, uh, so giving basically it's free to play and you can get NFTs. So maybe they will have a value, but you do not need them necessarily to play. So uh, how do you see the the, the renting and uh, in this model and the lending? Yeah, so I think the basic principle is that. And that's actually one of the, the reasons I got into this space and, and that I was always very pissed about is that in Web2 gaming, there's no real ownership of in-game items um, and any type of item, right? So, so, so people sink a lot of money into different games. I mean, in-game purchases have skyrocketed over the last five years or more. And 
I used to play FIFA, for example, a lot. And when you see how much money people spend on the FIFA Ultimate Team, and then once the next FIFA rolls around, there's nothing you can do with it. I mean, you can still keep playing the previous version, but if you try to sell your account on eBay, it's uh, not legal. At least it's not compliant with the terms of service. It's very cumbersome to do it. Uh, there's a lot of trust involved, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, for me, it's always been extremely clear that uh, ownership and digital ownership has to has to be part of gaming. And it will. I know a lot of big players and also gamers are resisting NFTs. I think it's partly because it's a new thing, and then it's partly because there have been a lot of NFT scams, and then it's partly because or NFT crypto scams, and then the third reason is probably that gaming items get thrown into one big box with PFPs um, and all kinds of other NFTs that have zero utility or close to zero utility. I don't want to say all, all PFPs do, but and but if we if we um, just talk about this ownership digital items. I'm extremely bullish on it, and I think you should have the same rights with everything that you own digitally that you do with the, with your physical items, right? So if I have a PlayStation and a um, and a hard copy of a game at home, and I'm going on vacation for two to three weeks, I can give it to my friend and say, "Look, you know, go ahead, play. It's all good." Um, or I can give it, I can even give it to somebody who is willing to pay for renting it for a couple of weeks or so. And I think um, the same is going to to happen with, or I definitely see the case for it um, in, in gaming, in Web3 gaming, in digital items. Um, so, so you, I'm super so bullish think, on this. Do you think yeah. the way this will unfold is that there is going to be some NFTs that uh, are better than others in different games so maybe everybody will be able to play the games it will be free to play but if you want to earn in the game you need these specific nfts and if you want to earn more you need this specific nft so kind of access to different leagues like in in, in football for instance and yeah then... I, I don't know i think there's there's always going to be this case for let's say you use a free to play uh, let's say in, uh, in any mmorpg you mm -hmm. it's free to play for anyone but the avatar you get is uh, you can level it up and it will take time to level it up. So I think there'll always be the case where people don't want to enter on the ground floor because they want to play their casual gamers. They are uh, better off than maybe um, other people. They can afford it. They want to spend money on gaming. There's a lot of money to be spent on gaming. So they want to buy an avatar that's already level 10, level 15, level 20, whatever. But it takes mm -hmm. weeks to get there. And I think there'll be people who are just willing to play and grind and spend the time leveling up the characters and then sell it or rent it. Um, so I, I see multiple versions of how the whole thing can unfold. There, there might be um, scarcity involved and there might be um, like access rights and other utilities tied to it, but even in a completely free-to-play model where you own the avatars and the items, etc., and you level them up. I still see a case for lending and um, and uh, also marketplaces, etc. Mm -hmm. How do you think? What do you think about the our our industry right now? Uh, what do you think about the other players? 
whether they are guilds, games, infrastructures, uh, you know, it, it's almost like they're more professionals than consumers right now in our industry. Are you, at some point there was a lot of competition, I, I, I felt like between the guilds or infra players. And right now I see more and more collaboration. So what do you, what do you think about it right now? Where do you position? Yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, in general, I think that the, the space has always been extremely collaborative. So uh, wherever we went, um, let's say any NFT show, um, any IRL events, but also in general, people have always been very open to connecting, to sharing, to helping each other. So even in the, the good times, I've very, very rarely encountered anyone who is so fiercely competing that they didn't want to talk or didn't want to help, uh, at least to some extent. So, um, But I, I, I agree with you very much on the fact that now that it, the current market conditions just eliminate a lot of the bullshitters and a lot of those people who are just, you know, they were in there for the quick buck. They didn't give a fuck about gaming. They didn't give a fuck about building a great game or anything else. They were all about marketing a great story, um, grabbing the money. And now things shake out and probably those uh, who are the best in the space will survive. Uh, hopefully that, that's the case. And you feel that for a lot of players, it's all about survival. And um, at the same time, the spirit is still hey, let's all make it through this because it's still, and I think that's what very, like almost everyone understands. It's still a very early market. It's still very niche. And there's so much space for all of us to grow with the mar as the market grows. Uh, so we shouldn't be fighting each other now. We should be supporting each other. And that's the generous sentiment I get from pretty much everyone. What is your number one uh, mission? What is the thing you want? You want to achieve so right now you are helping uh, uh nft owners to rent out their assets uh how do you want to imp uh, improve it no we want to we want to be able to give um to provide a platform where anyone can rent out their nfts um gaming nfts and anyone can borrow one in a in a completely uh, in the most seamless manner with um, a great UI, great UX, et cetera. And, and it's not about um, serving those NFT owners. This is where we started from, with our focus because we felt that that side is probably a bit underdeveloped, but it's also about giving access to the gamers and then also helping the gaming studios who are developing games, being able to increase the numbers of daily active users, et cetera, et cetera. Because the last thing these guys are interested in is having a institutional investor or a whale sitting there with 10% of the entire NFTs that you need to play a certain game. And these are just sitting idle in a wallet because the, that guy or gal is speculating on um, the value of those NFTs rising over time. Whereas there may be many, many gamers queuing up who want to play. So we see ourselves in the middle um, creating win-win-win situations so gamers can access um, assets, NFTs at a much lower cost than buying them. They can maybe access assets that they otherwise can't afford or that are just not available because they are so scarce that they, you know, nobody will sell them. Um, you have the owners who have access to gamers who can rent out the NFTs and earn on it. And then you have the, um, the game studios who have more players uh, more active users and 
actually what we've seen a lot with Evonto is that a lot of those gamers that start renting NFTs and playing with the NFTs that they find on the Unbound platform, they turn into buyers at some point. So they start buying the first one, two, three Immortals after mm. they figured out what kind of Immortals they like, what quests they like. Um, and as soon as they get comfortable with the space and feel that now is the right time to make a bigger investment. Interesting. And, and I think, you know, like, so being the kind of number one renting marketplace for uh, NFT gaming assets, uh, if, you, if, you do, if you pull it out, that's very impressive, I think, for, for what's to come. Uh, and it, it, there is a bit of uh, investing here. What I mean by that is that right now, the, the, there is so much differences between the technology used, the, the chains used, there is no standard, it's very uh, complicated, and there's a lot of frictions to, to kind of uh, implement the renting system for different types of games. Uh, so I know you have some kind of solutions, uh, technical solutions to try to automate it as, as much as possible. So I don't know how maybe you can uh, tell us a couple of words about that. And also it's going to be with other companies trying to achieve that as well. It's going to be uh, implementing your solution for the games that are going to work in the future. If you, if, you, if you do that for the games that are going to work, you're going to have a lot of users and then you will grow. So it's still there, there is some kind of a, investment uh, expertise needed there, right? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, so on the tech side, I can't say a whole lot. So what we're doing right now is we are working with um, some of the, um, let's say, delegation mechanisms that the games provide, but we are working on our own proprietary solution right now that will allow us to be game agnostic, chain agnostic, so we don't have to rely on delegation mechanism that's provided by the game or through the game or through any other partner um, of that game and hopefully early next year so january we'll, we'll be able to deploy that okay now and uh, and so there it means that how will that work you will not need to collaborate with the games you you can just onboard them uh, without their consent yes yes yeah yeah so the so the way yes correct um, the way this is going to work is that we it's um, you as a gamer, so you deploy as an owner, you deploy the assets on the platform, and then the mm -hmm. gamer is getting rights, um, certain rights through, uh, and so is getting certain certain utility rights. Sorry, just a couple of words as well on the uh, decentralized identity. Are you also working on that? You know, to figure out what players are doing on-chain and how this build their kind of reputation and, and their scoring model and how it will help them for renting or do other kind of things? It's not yet really in our focus now. For now, we, build, we, we are uh, working on building the best experience we can build for both gamers and, um, and NFT owners. And then maybe later this could be down the road we might be looking into this. Okay, so... I'm going to ask you uh, two, two more questions. Uh, one, one I'm going to ask you is because this is the end of, the, of 2022. So it's what is going to be your new year resolution in terms of, of work habit? What do you want to do better, improve uh, on next year? In terms of my own individual work habits or as yeah, a company, you want I, to be improving? 
what, what you should be improving uh, uh, for Unbound Nation, whether personally or the company? Yeah, yeah. So one of, one of the things, so we are fully remote. We are 100% remote. So we don't have an office. And what we notice, so we get together from time to time for offsites. But as we are growing and as we are, so we've started in Germany and Europe, but as we are growing also more internationally, this is also harder to do. Um, yeah, so one of the, the resolutions for next year is to be together physically okay. a bit more. Um, not necessarily all the time with everyone, but at least with um, some people because we know that mm. it does add a lot to the culture and to the atmosphere and, and you know understanding each other and vibing better if you have some IRL experiences. Okay. Uh, fantastic. And my last question, I ask it to every single person I interview here. I call it the, the meta question. And it's the following. If life is a game and you can go up to level 100, what is your current level? Um, and what is, so what is level 100? Define that for me. Uh, I, and no what is level zero? So is no it like, uh, the, it's, the, the it's very op- best version? The very best version of myself is that level one hundred? Or it's an open question. Yes, I guess. Okay. So I so if I define it that way and say a level one hundred is the very best version of myself in pretty much all regards, and then zero is the very worst worst version of myself, I would say I'm probably somewhere in the vicinity of. 70 ish 70 that's a good level very very good level Uh, i think you're among the top of all the person i interview but maybe they give different definitions and the follow-up is how do you hey i guess i guess you also interview a lot of people that are younger than me right (laughs) depends depends there's some how far how how old are you by the way 34 and a half wow Wow. so no so there there is a you're you're on average and so how do you win the game um the life game yeah well i think it's uh it's it's many things but i what i what i what i think is the one of the most important thing is to just be like really present in the moment and be like if you whatever you do just do this one thing just doing one thing at a time i think this is something that's getting increasingly hard with all the distractions everywhere so you're working you're working um and then when you relax or you have a nice dinner just don't try to answer work email at the same time just really take the half hour 45 minutes and then get back to whatever else is there and um yeah and also taking a bit of time here and there and just really fully taking time off. And I mean, this is just like 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day, maybe meditate um, and not just like be on your phone and scroll Twitter uh, or other social media. I think this is how you win the game of life or at least me, you know, that, that's where I can still get better at. It's those little things, you know, but just being present, being in the moment. Um, and um, it's not just, for me, it's not just about enjoying everything um, but you know, just just living life in the moment. I think this is yeah, very true, but super hard to to implement, uh, as we both know. Did, yes. 
that's true that's true yeah, especially with you know notifications but I'm, I'm getting better and that's why i said probably in the 70s or maybe 70 around that because um yeah i've worked a lot on that and and i used to distract myself a lot more when when i felt like i needed a bit of a break and now i just sometimes i just sit for five minutes ten minutes and do nothing and it's crazy how long five to ten minutes can be uh and and how much of it you know of a release it can also be in, in terms of you know, when your thoughts are just you know overwhelming you're thinking about things something is bothering you etc but has anyone ever asked you what level you are and, and if not tell me what it what is it and, and how do you in the game of life <laughs> me no nobody nobody asked me uh, uh but if i had to answer i'm i am level two very level low. two out of 100 yeah that's very low wow, so okay well man, why, why and, and i don't i don't know i don't know how to win the game i probably will know when i when i reach level 10 <laughs> so that's my answer Okay, but that so should, should should we turn this into a counseling session, man? Because man, no. two <laughs> I think I think we're good. We're good. Let's keep the mystery for now. So we, we just reach the end of our of our interview. Uh, maybe I'll cut that because I don't want people to know and my mystery. <laughs> it, it was uh, it was such a pleasure to have you, uh, Philip. Today we learned a lot about Embond Nations. Uh, people that listen can find all the links in the descriptions, obviously, and reach out to you probably on. LinkedIn or Twitter is the best? Uh, yeah, Twitter is good. LinkedIn, yeah, but Twitter is better. I get very spammed by a lot of recruiters on LinkedIn. So Twitter is, okay. is the way to go. All right. So friends, uh, we'll meet each other for a next interview. It was a pleasure. Uh, have a good one. Bye. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Thanks for having me.